Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm a writer over at IndieWire, and I had the great pleasure of talking to John Wilson about not just the finale of his HBO show, How To, with John Wilson, which is extraordinary, but also the process of making the entire series. We talked a lot about editing, so editors get excited. We talked about what Wilson thinks about and sort of how he organizes his footage when he and his team are creating that kind of miraculous, seemingly found imagery that's helped him string together every episode of the show. We talked a little bit about the structure of the last season of How To, about music, about interviewing, and and so much more. John was incredibly generous with really detailing how to make How To with John Wilson. Um, so please enjoy this conversation with John Wilson. I would love to start with kind of a nerdy question. Just what for over the past three seasons has been your camera and sound setup when you travel uh, to go shoot B-roll around New York City? I use a uh, Sony FS5 with um, there's a little kind of miniature shotgun mic uh, attached to it. We tried a longer shotgun, but it, it felt a little too intrusive. So I just I wanted to use a shorter one. I wanted to have my operation be as compact as possible. And yeah, I also have a sound guy that shadows me. Um, it's usually this guy, Austin Ploker. He's got his own pro sound setup. I can't speak to what he has, but uh, he has a, nice, a nicer shotgun. But still, I would imagine super portable and able to sort of do a little bit of run and gun. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to make it as as kind of nimble as possible because, you know, you watch these old documentaries like Salesman or like, well, you know, when the Maisels were first really excited about like having just a camera that could do sync sound, you know, I, I wanted to keep it as close to that as possible. Just, you know, just the bare essentials uh, without any kind of harnesses or... Um, anything that just complicated the the whole operation because like they were able to accomplish so much with so little and I feel like I, I, I didn't really I feel like I didn't really have to change much. I'm curious if you know in having a small but having a crew shadow you around and sort of having to think about how you shoot taught you anything about sort of your style and your sort of visual predilections over the course of making the show. I think you know I was I was making tutorial movies for around a decade before, you know, the HBO show started. So I, w I was mostly just shooting with a, a tiny kind of handheld digital camera, the Canon TX1. And that was, you know, I never used any diegetic sound from that because like I didn't have a sound guy. But then I transitioned to this other kind of handheld mini DV camera that I could plug a microphone into. So I had a little handheld mic for interviews and stuff. And, you know, that was still a one-man band kind of operation. But when the show started, I remember during the pilot, we were just getting our sea legs. And I remember day one of the production, you know, it was me and Nathan Fielder and like a few other people in a van. And it was just way too many things going on you know there was like we we had a video link somehow where that was really heavy on top of my camera that like fed my video to inside of a van so people could watch what i was doing 
And then we had, uh, you know, another sound element that was also kind of cumbersome. And I just could not stand having that much stuff on me and having such a high profile, you know, with like a sound guy near me and stuff. So we kind of shaved everything down pretty quickly after after the first couple days. I, I, I try not to be imposing, you know, like whenever I'm out shooting stuff. So, you know, if I, I only have a sound guy near me if I really need it or if we're in kind of a controlled situation because otherwise like a boom microphone changes the perception of what's happening a lot of the time when you're when you're out in public filming. I think people begin to gawk at you a bit more. I also don't I don't like how having other crew members near me will kind of make the subject look around you know it'll 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 screw with their kind of their eyes you know where they don't know what to look at so i just try to make it so it's just me and the subject so they know exactly what to focus on other than that it's just been the other second unit teams are are really small operations too you know we'll, we'll just have a camera person with one field producer that kind of stays at a safe distance and they i think they have these kind of you know kind of signals that they make to one another to uh to let each other know when uh, a release needs to get signed or you know try and try not to be too like you know uh obvious about it for sure it's feels like part of the magic of the show is that it's shot in such a way that like everyone in the entire city of New York is potentially a subject of it but I imagine that like y'all have to be very conscious about what and how much you can shoot before need to go run and grab a release and stuff like that yeah I mean I I think the the kind of the rule that we use is to get at least 10 seconds of whatever you're shooting because that usually gives us enough in the edit whether it's a certain sign or an activity someone is doing, because uh, otherwise it, it's too quick. But you can't always control it at the same time. For sure. I would love to talk a little bit about the edit process and kind of when you start, are you find yourself compulsive about it in the same way you're compulsive about shooting? Kind of what what are the puzzles that you're you're trying to solve? Like I would just love to hear kind of how you think about the edit process. Yeah, uh, the editing process is 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 a big part of the writing process. You know, we shoot, you know, in in, in different departments every day. I, after after I spend a day shooting with kind of primary interview subjects, um, or you know, I'll 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 have kind of days of just random stuff too. I will I will then go home and I'll have a folder I download of all the footage that the second unit has shot. So then I just power scan through everything and make selects, you know, stuff that excites me or stuff that I think is funny or could be reinterpreted somehow. And I then lump them into my own individual timelines that, you know, sometimes they're mood-based or sometimes are, you know, will just be like, police officers, you know, I just shots of police officers. So I'm doing that, but the assistant editors are also 
meticulously tagging everything, you know, every word and every sign, every, like, you know, a description of every activity and, and what episode it might be good for. So if I ever need anything within the edit, I can tell them that I want shots of uh, air conditioners, you know, and they can just, like, deliver a string out within a half an hour of of everything like that. So it's it's kind of interesting because we, we write, like, a basic script that is, you know, like, for restrooms, for example, that is, you know, the, the kind of PBS version of what the episode is, where it's just, like, a lot of trivia and stuff that you might get in a normal documentary about restrooms. But then as we shoot, we inevitably discover other stuff. And then we kind of reorient the edit to, 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 to lean into the, uh, the kind of tributaries, you know. Right, the missile silos, as it were. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the, the actual editors like Sasha and... Corey this season and LJ, they will um, make cuts of each individual interview, you know, like the larger set pieces, and then present those to me. And then we kind of refine them and figure out what the funniest moments are and, and what the real heart of each segment is. But we just have so much freedom in terms of like how to finesse the transitional moments because you know if you're ever stuck at all you you have this this mountain of footage that you can craft a like you know kind of a a funny transition out of and that's where a lot of free association and and kind of stuff comes into play where you know I'll have my ideas of of the kind of footage that would be funny uh, to get from one interview to another, but then the editors will also pitch stuff on their own, and sometimes it's really funny, and we just kind of collaborate like that. That's awesome. It seems like, uh, I mean, throughout throughout the show, but but this season I was so tickled by some of the examples of just like starting the conversation about working out by progressing from different animals and just having all of that organized in like what seems like the most massive archive of b-roll is so cool um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's such a dream to to have all that material and especially like like the editors retain like almost a complete knowledge of all of the b-roll too so from each season so like I will for that for that montage, let's say you know where we have animals and we 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 pair it with with the food that that the animal kind of looks like. You know, you 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 mention I I'll mention like a shot of a sausage, you know, and they will know immediately what I'm talking about, and they will know roughly where it is within their select spin and be able to pull it up pretty quickly. Yeah, it's just it's. It's it's amazing how much kind of yeah how much you retain just by watching all this stuff. I imagine there's probably a little bit of danger of falling in love with some of it and wanting to find a, a spot for it, and whether you or not you actually can. Yeah, that's 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 where some of the kind of creative arguments come into play. Where like I I will constantly push for certain shots 
that I think are funny that no one else really ha- has a relationship with, or the editors will do the same thing. And, and sometimes it, it makes its way into the final cut, but it eventually becomes a joke. Like whenever you insert, like, you know, like, uh, like sometimes we'll just like, we'll, we'll have a collective writer's block and then they'll insert this, this one like <laughs> piece of footage that, that we've been arguing about, like, for the length of the edit and like and sometimes it it ends up working you know and and it's it's it like pays to be persistent like that amazing as as you're sort of figuring things out and and kind of finessing transitions and 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 honing the footage i'm curious how the the writing process sort of continues along with the edit like are you still going to the room with sort of questions about okay what is the heart of this or what 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 metaphor do we think we can spin off of that um or is the writing really about just laying a groundwork and then you sort of write the episode for real for real in the edit yeah it it really is just laying the groundwork you know because you know a lot of scripts will have kind of shot descriptions of of stuff we might see on the street and there will be a joke attached to that and that gets translated into a scavenger hunt list that the second unit will just always have on hand if they ever get bored and you know they they know to look for houses that look like faces or something like that then everything that we write usually like most of it is kind of lame and it it feels like almost like a karaoke version of of what it eventually becomes you know it like if if it, it feels like you know, is someone who's imitating the style would think of. And then as we continue to shoot, we find better stuff. And we then rewrite most of what happens. And like the, the shots that were initially meant for one pun, we end up just using for something completely different because it's like it, it, the farther away you get from that initial thing, it's like the better, but you, you kind of need that initial bed of, of kind of bad jokes that you can then kind of uh, remix as, as you continue to rewrite and edit. But you know, we're, we're like, we're, we're rewriting within the edit up until the very last moment. Like it, it, it kind of it's it starts at the very beginning of production and it does not end until the 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 final cut is delivered. That makes a ton of sense because it it feels like I and it must vary by episode. But I'm curious how long it takes you to work on an episode of How To and kind of is there sort of a moment or a feeling that happens where you know that it's done and there's not any other shots you can sneak in or any other tangents that the episode needs to go on? The work starts to feel complete when the deadline approaches and we kind of, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it's different for each episode. Like there are certain episodes that, you know, where we, where we have these, these amazing uh, coincidences that just happen organically and you know and we have an ending before we have the first two acts you know in 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 a way but i don't know it's it you just kind of you can continue to tweak each episode indefinitely and there's you know even just watching the series as it's coming out now 
you know, there's there's stuff that I see on the street that I think would be perfect to put in, but like I just I can't unlock the episodes, obviously. But I think as long as it has like a kind of satisfying narrative and emotional um, core, I, I'm 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 not as like I, I I don't feel unsatisfied with it. Yeah. I had that thought, though, when um, we went to the uh, replica model Titanic and how that might have changed since the, the submarine accident. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I also try. I mean, I try not to make any of the, the work topical, you know, in that way. I just which we, 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 we try to avoid like any current events or anything like that, because like that, I feel like doesn't age as well. But things that are kind of ambiently on everyone's mind work a little better. Yeah, and keep it about the people themselves, um, which is the most interesting. I'd like to ask a little bit about music on the show, because there's not a ton, but it feels like it, in, in key moments, can really sort of smooth the transition, change a tone. Um, there is the wonderful horn band that sort of bids farewell to to New York City in, in the finale. And I, I would just love to hear you talk a little bit about how you think about music um, in documentary and on the show specifically. I, you know, have a, a running Spotify list that I just uh, am always consulting um, of songs that, you know, I, I'd, I'd really like to put in that made me feel some some kind of complicated emotion while I was listening to it. And we also have, I mean, Megan Courier is the, uh, you know, uh, she gives us a lot of songs as a music supervisor for the show. She, you know, she'll just give us a bunch of folders that, you know, have a specific uh, mood or something like that based off of what the sequence calls for. But I, I try to handpick as as much as I possibly can because uh, it it does like it it is also like it's also you know it's it, it is carrying you through a lot of the work and um, I I think I initially found like yeah like the horns for example in the ending of the finale I was looking on YouTube at one point for someone that found like three pop tarts in a package of pop tarts instead of the t- the two, you know, a miraculous third pop tart. Yeah. I was looking uh, for some reason I was looking for that and never made it in. And I found someone on YouTube that had found one, but on the rest of their YouTube channel, they were part of a marching band and they had this like amazing rendition of love on Rose. That was like, I never heard before and it just like I listened to it day after day and I was just like I need to have this in it but the quality of this audio is like not presentable so I we actually just like reached out to them and had them perform it uh for us uh and you know we did it like six or seven times and that was the one that made into the cut uh I just I, I I knew that I wanted to kind of end with that song from from the very beginning, but the, you know the editors also are constantly throwing in 
tracks that just work really well. And a lot of it is kind of library music from APM that is, uh, that's really good. And, you know, I kind of wanted to have like kind of, a, you know, initially I, I kind of asked for like Ren and Stimpy music, you know, for, for a lot of it, just classical stuff, but also some seventies, like, uh, electronic stuff. Yeah. And I think you can feel that and also feel the show sort of growing a little bit bigger. This is a, a, a little bit of a large question. So take it whichever way you would like to, but I'm curious over the course of three seasons filming, um, a lot of places, but, but filming a lot in New York. Um, and I know that the season one finale gets into the the beginning of the pandemic in a little bit, but I'm curious how you've how you've found New York changing as you've been documenting it. I feel like the biggest change I I've witnessed is just the you know physical landscape. I don't think people changed that much. Um, you know, it it, it was just there's just footage of stuff in the first season that I never thought would disappear and it's gone now and it's really sad, but it, 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 it makes me feel like, you know, like this, like we, we, we have this, we had this Indiana Jones moment where we just made it out just in time, you know, where like we were able to get that facade or talk to that person, like right before it was gone from the city forever. And, that is always the the kind of this constant churn that you know uh i'm kind of trying to fight against or preserve whatever's still there because you take for granted that some of your favorite stuff is still around so this kind of feeling of loss that as a New Yorker, you, you kind of feel all the time is this was the, the most productive way I, I could think of to deal with that by like, by freezing it somewhere. I'd love to ask you a little bit about the penultimate episode though, um, and kind of staging the car explosion and, and sort of introducing, um, the idea of staged footage. And I'm curious why you, yeah, why that's placed where it is in the season and kind of what was important about doing that episode as part of the final season. I felt comfortable uh, making the birds episode this season just because, you know, I knew that it was probably going to be the last one and I wanted to be able to swing for the fences, you know, uh, production wise and, and, and kind of exploit the HBO budget in the coolest, most fun way possible. Um, and yeah, it's always been a dream to blow up a car, especially my own. But, you know, the the in terms of the placement um, within the season, um, I, I, I'd like to, I like to think of um, the the season having three acts almost, you know, the the first two episodes kind of deal with civic design issues um, and, you know, yeah, like city issues. And the middle two episodes <clears throat> are kind of about masculinity um, and stuff. 
And then the final two are kind of about larger kind of existential themes like truth and, and, and mortality. And I, I wanted to put the episode about the production and truth and stuff second to last, just because I, I didn't want that buzzing around in everyone's head, like while they were watching the rest of the season, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to just deploy it like right before we got to this final moment um, in the finale. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and the, yeah, there's just, there, there's a, there's a long, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with that episode. Um, just the, the production was, was, was very ambitious and, you know, uh, it, it, it felt like, it felt really good getting certain things off my chest. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal episode and just like the amount of trust it places in the audience to sort of catch the joke at the exact right moment is so cool, (laughs) uh, to see. And, um, I'm curious, like, I, I imagine that like sort of finessing that and finessing the timing of, of when all the dominoes fall was a process. Yeah. Um, we wanted the episode to kind of to turn into a thriller, you know, about halfway through. So that was one of the most heavily scripted um, episodes of the whole season, or it was kind of closest to the original script that we wrote uh, because we had to send it to, you know, like we, we, we sent it to Soderbergh, you know, and, and, and we had like these conversations about it and, you know, he gave us advice about how to, how to blow up a car. I mean, yeah, so we had to buy a, like a duplicate version of my car, you know, and outfit it with explosives, which was its own like production nightmare. And then ship that to Tennessee all the while keeping this a secret from the kind of protagonist of the episode that I, that I spent most of the time with. And, you know, he didn't really know what was going on up, up until the very last moment, like right before the car blew up. Incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm also curious, just sort of as, as, I mean, taking advantage of that HBO budget um, and doing more ambitious things and sort of bringing the show to the end, has your sort of view of the, the version of yourself that you play in the show changed over time? Um, and kind of where do you feel like you're leaving that person? Hmm. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I was, I think I'm more or less the same person that I was from when I started this series. I, <laughs> I feel like even though I begin each episode as a tutorial, uh, ostensibly to help you figure out how to do something or maybe even help myself how to figure out how to do something i i ultimately stubbornly stick to my original feeling about it in 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 this kind of satirical way so i mean you know i i have become better at making plans i have become better at you know other certain things that i was genuinely struggling with uh throughout the show but i yeah i just i i i feel like myself as a character within it you know when i'm when i'm speaking in the second person i think i want it to be clear that there's there's kind of a bit you know happening 
where I'm like, you know, a, a bit in character, but whenever I switch to the first person, it's, 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 it's very much like a, a memoir moment that of something that actually happened. And I, I really don't want the audience to question that. So yeah, I, it, 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 it's, it's hard to say how I've changed. I feel like I've, I feel like I have matured creatively, um, in a lot of ways. Um, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I also still kind of ref refuse to change in other ways. <laughs> no, it, it makes a ton of sense. And it's always hard to prognosticate in the, in the middle, in terms of just sort of like the creative muscles you've built. Um, I'm curious if there's anything coming off of how to that you are excited to try. Are you going to blow up more cars um, or do different types of dogs? <laughs> Um, I'd like to continue to, I mean, you know, experiment within the world of nonfiction stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to go on record saying, you know, what I have in mind yet. Uh, it's just kind of, uh, you know, it's a little half baked right now, but, uh, I think it's going to have a similar flavor to it. But I think I, I just needed to, I need, I, I think I need to change things just, just slightly, just so that I, I, I don't feel as much pressure to kind of put my maybe personal history at the, at the dead center of everything. Um, but I, I also feel like I maybe can't help that sometimes. So we'll, yeah, it's like. Uh, we'll see. Well, the history and the, the visual poetry and the humor in, in this show um, is so much fun. And it's, it's, it's always funny, but does the, the thing that good docs do, which is make you look more curiously at the world. Mm. So glad to have season three out. And thank you so much for speaking to me, John. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for watching and uh, yeah, asking me to do this. Mm -hmm.